Reason number one that I know it is Friday this morning in Fitzroy is that I can hear, even above the sound of our kettle, which I'm confident clinical tests will one day prove is the loudest kettle on earth, the sounds of rubbish day. Specifically, today, being Friday and being rubbish day, I hear the guy from the new twin apartments over the road fighting with some rubbish bins on what he clearly considers to be his Bluestone laneway. Just a little bit of common courtesy. I go up to the window with a saucepan I'm drying and watch him, wrestling with the comically oversized recycling bin that belongs to Gail from up the road who... Used to live in such a lovely street in Brighton. And who insisted a while back that the council provide her with a giant recycling bin, which has been blown into the centre of the lane by the annoying spring wind. He's swearing at it now, the new guy, trying to snap the lid up and over so he can move it out of the way of his sleek BMW, which sits low and sullen on the bluestone. He flips the lid over and shut and... Ah! Some water runs from inside the lid down the sleeve of his crisp white shirt. Got to be kidding me! I hear him say, and his posh car reminds him to close the door. All right, all right! He says to it. He gets in, slamming the door shut behind him, and edges the car over the bluestones, pausing at the corner before fanging it into the street. His name, we think, is Alastair. We've been getting a lot of Uber deliveries lately. Pizza for Alastair? Pizza here for Alastair. Pizza for Alastair. Uh, sorry, it's you again. Sorry. Happens all the time with these new apartments. Takes a while for the apps to catch up. I'll make a note in my phone. The windows of the vacant apartment next to Alistair's are still covered in big X's made of masking tape, like in a video game denying entry. It's hard to imagine anyone living there. I rest my forehead on the window now, my breath spreading like a fog across the glass and receding, fogging and receding, like the tide going in and out. Suddenly, reason number two that I know it is Friday occurs in the form of a loud ping from my phone. Looking at my screen, I realise it's a gleeful notification from a newsletter to which I do not recall subscribing. TGIF, baby! It shouts at me in caps lock. TGIF. As though F brings any more relief than any other D of the W for someone whose days revolve around the sleeping patterns of a toddler and the fast-moving schedule of an energetic six-year-old. And now... Having well and truly established its Fridayness, the day literally explodes in my face in the form of a vigorous twitch below my left eye, jerking jauntily as though operated by a tiny puppeteer, and oh boy, it's been a long week. The toddler cries that first outraged cry of wakefulness in the other room as I run past the furiously boiling kettle, feeling something approaching embarrassment for it as it proudly heats water for tea I will never drink. Imaginary tea for an imaginary me who lifts the kettle and feels its weight, appreciates the science and the artistry of its steam and sips the tea in silent reverence. Sorry, kettle, I think to it. Not today. 
Later, I've conned the toddler into the pram by performing what is essentially a three-act play depicting the degradation of quick wit into flat-out bribery, and we're off, into the middle of Friday. And despite the eye twitch, I am thinking of things I love. I love jasmine and magnolia trees and rows of gumboots in height order on verandas and the generosity of the upward inflection like how Kiwis say, your mum's nice, eh? As though even observations are collaborative. And I love other people's kitchens and how good fruit looks in a bowl and hot air balloons and how sometimes it's not until you have had a conversation in the dark that something can really be sorted. I love sideways hugs and cold morning dragon breath and surprisingly good buskers and how silver the scales of fish are and the existence of antibiotics and ice cream and the words scallywag and crumpets and you. As we pass, we wave at Alan, who is always lately out the front of his house in a dressing gown and a beanie sitting on his chair. He's out the front of his house in a dressing gown and a beanie sitting on his chair. I wave at him. Hey, Alan. He peers at me and I realise, not for the first time recently, that old Alan isn't doing as well as he used to. He talks to himself a bit these days, muttering angrily about a confusion of things. But he figures me out in the end and raises one finger in the air in frowning acknowledgement. I feel a burst of affection for the old man, looking out for us all these years, keeping watch from his little garden. We head to the museum, partly so we can go to the museum and partly so we can witness the track works in Nicholson Street. The entire street is shut down as teams of workers clamber aboard massive construction vehicles ripping the street asunder, leaving fragments of familiar tram stops in filthy, crooked piles of peacetime rubble. We pull off into a cafe when it gets too noisy. It's chock full of high-vis workers chatting noisily. A bloke near me peers down at the newspaper on the table in front of him, lifts the front page and throws it closed in annoyance. How's this? He says to the woman next to him, stabbing the front page with his finger. She shakes her head. Ought to just sack the lot of them, I reckon. She says. Not that they'd suffer. She says. Just as long as they get their super. Bunch of turkeys, says newspaper guy. The woman shrugs. The other lot are just as bad. He flips the paper over to read the sport and I get the feeling he doesn't share her pessimism about the other lot, but I might be wrong. In front of me, the toddler drives his train across the table, stopping at the pepper shaker for people to disembark. On the table just behind me, a woman speaks. I can't see her, but I can see her work boots, her legs extended and crossed beneath the chair next to mine, a smiley face drawn on one of them in biro. No, so what you need to do is excavate first and then you hire the guy. She's saying to the table of guys she's sitting with. And he gets how much? Four, five hundred an hour? For standing there. What a world. It's a liability thing. A way to bring some food over. There are murmurs of thanks and... That smells really good, says the woman with the smiley shoe. They chat for a bit, then... She wants some. I really don't. It's got bacon, mate. She's a health nut. Is that right? I had popcorn for breakfast yesterday. 
there's a bit of good nature giggling and I can feel a couple of the blokes heaving themselves up out of their chairs. Well, that's us. One of them says. They stand in front of our table. The older man, the newspaper guy, swivels towards them from the other table. Right then, I take it you peanuts are coming with me. He says. But one of the younger ones is twisting himself up, jiggling around deep in his pocket, kicking his leg out slightly sideways. Hell are you up to? Says newspaper guy. Oh, these undies are real loose. Again? Asks Kylie Smiley Shoe. The old guy with the newspaper shakes his head. Honestly, mate, the way you carry on, you may as well go commando. They're all laughing now. Bloody hopeless. Newspaper guy walks to the counter, turns back to Kylie Smiley Shoe and performs a little mime of pointing at his watch with high eyebrows. Her feet uncross and recross beneath the chair. Yeah, yeah, she says. He pays and lets the kid with the loose undies hold open the door for him. I try to imagine what he makes of this new generation of workers he finds himself surrounded by. The toy train does figures of eight around my foot and down the hill, the old newspaper guy looks up, noticing, I think, but I'm not sure, a bird in one of the trees overhead. I spot a couple of Corellas in a ghost gum on the way back from the coffee joint. Go to say something to the young fellas, but they're yapping away as usual. Something about how to freeze risotto. That's the thing about these young blokes, God love them. Great to have around for the most part, but my God, the talk. You'll be dealing with contractors and engineers and union reps, everything due yesterday and... One of these young blokes will saunter over and start nattering away like it's New Year's Day at the Hanging Rock bloody races. Bloody unbelievable. You'll say it to him too. You'll say, mate, busy as a one-armed cabbie with crabs at this present moment in time. Chances are he'll clap you on the back and give you a few words of advice on the way out the door. <laughs> advice. From his precious two years on the job. Kylie says it's a good thing. Democratising the workforce, she calls it. Losing the hierarchies. There's not a man, woman or child on God's green earth can resist bloody Kylie. Least of all me. That's the other thing that's different now, of course. Women everywhere. Joints crawling with them. Don't get me wrong, I'm all for it. Best thing to happen in construction since Jesus built his first coffee table. The, uh, loose unit next to me who's always fiddling with his tackle well. Let's just say he's another great argument for diversity in the workforce. Back on site, I look back to see Kylie coming towards us right on time. The Corellas take off like you would if you could, cheeky buggers. Off towards Abbotsford, where the river offers them a smorgasbord for lunch. Newspaper guy is gone now and we are stalled at Gertrude Street on account of the toddler's toy train wanting to press the button at the lights. A man in a Panama hat standing at the lights points at the ground. They wouldn't want to touch this paving. Original paving, this is. 19th century. Heritage protected. He steps back, 
taking in Royal Terrace, closing one eye against the sun. One of the oldest terraces in Melbourne, this one, he tells us. And one of the longest. Oh, hello there. He says to the tiny train, thrust towards him by the toddler. After the Panama hat has left to pick up a book he's had put aside in the city, he told the train, who hadn't asked but who was polite enough not to say anything, we cross to the exhibition buildings. I look back at Royal Terrace, surrounded by all of us, tiny new humans attempting once again to rearrange the landscape at its feet. The Moreton Bay fig tree in the gardens is also, I remember suddenly, a famous historical monument, a gathering place for the Aboriginal community forced off this same land again just a couple of generations ago. I'm calling after the toddler into the annoying spring wind which steals my words over my shoulder and away towards the top of Burke Street where a man with a Panama hat is about to stroll into a bookshop and pick up a book on military history, just guessing, from someone behind the counter. A group outside the museum is doing Tai Chi, slow-mo ninjas beckoning the excited toddler who, before I can stop it, has joined one end of the front row, mimicking their performance with mortifying accuracy. The slow-mo ninjas continue. Zen now, only from the neck down. Their faces cracked with laughter. Later, the toddler sleeps in the pram like a messy drunk, covered in food, head lolling as we take the corners home. Alan is still there, sitting in his chair, just as he was this morning, and I'm about to sneak past and save myself the 20 minutes of conversation when I look closer. He's... asleep. Isn't he? I watch him until he stirs, his arm dropping to his side, and I breathe out in relief. Greg from up the road jogs past as I'm rummaging for keys. His old dog pants laboriously. We discuss the roadworks. Everyone's into it, I say. It's not just the toddlers. I mentioned Panama Hat Guy's concern for the heritage-protected footpath. Oh, yeah. Says Greg. Royal Terrace. Commissioned by a secret convict. Bet you didn't know that. I assure him I did not. Nice little metaphor in there somewhere. He says, pulling the dog away and jogging off. Once inside, the twitch in my eye leaping into action again, I put the kettle on and find myself looking across at the vacant apartment, the windows full of X's. Ba-bow. But hang on a sec. There's Alistair, the new guy, in the vacant apartment next to the one he lives in. He must own them, I think to myself, hence the fancy car. He takes a step forward then and leans his forehead against the window, looking down, the masking tape X exploding from just above his head. He is, I realise, watching his breath on the window, fogging and receding. I must be imagining it. But then... Sure enough, ever so slowly, he lifts his finger to the window and carefully traces something into his breath cloud, his little finger lifted daintily. Whatever it is he's drawing, he finishes it with a little staccato dot on the top. (laughs) 
Would you look at that? The very first sign of life. The toddler snores in his pram in the hall while this neighbour I have never met rubs out the pattern on his window with the side of his fist and the drills from the roadwork shudder occasionally through everything. My tea, when I drink it, is complete perfection. <laughs>